0: Well, good morning. Welcome once again for those of you who are joining us uh, via the live stream. My name is Chris, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer, and I get to open God's Word with all of us today. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 15. We're going to be reading and studying from John 15 1 through 17. Now, we are continuing in our series that we have entitled Get Wise, which is primarily a focus of the, uh, a studied focus of the book of James. James being the New Testament book of wisdom parallel to Proverbs in many ways in the Old Testament. But uh, today we're going to take a break from the book of James and dive into Uh, the segment from the Gospel of John. Now, there's a primary reason behind that, and that is that uh, today marks the 11th year that I have served as the pastor of Redeemer Baptist Church. And as I have been reflecting on the work of God over the last few years, I, I see so many wonderful things to celebrate, and many of them Uh, The things that I celebrate have specific names attached to them. As I look at each and every one of you, I think of the work of God that I have gotten to see in your life. I there were people that five years ago weren't in church at all, and you have come to saving faith and come to be part of the body of Christ. I think of people. I was just talking to Ken Halterman before church, and eleven years ago, uh, in just a couple of weeks, it was just. Just a few weeks after I arrived, uh, the, the second or third week after I arrived, I baptized Ken Halterman. That was 11 years ago. So... I see the work of God in the lives of each and every one of you. And there is so much to celebrate when we look at what God has done in the lives of the people that he has gathered here as Redeemer. And that includes people, of course, who have gone on to the Lord or people who have moved out of state. Many beloved friends and and pastors and servants of the Lord have come and been part of the work of God here in the last 11 years. And then they've, they've moved to other places or they've gone home to be with Jesus and then I, I as I'm celebrating all of that I also recognize that there has been times of tremendous challenge at different points in our church's life and the last three years in particular have been very challenging. If you look at the life of our church from the summer of 2019 through this this summer you know that there have been some losses that have been painful. Friends that we have loved, that have moved on to other bodies of believers and we wish them well and want to see the work of God grow, but we we miss them. We miss our friends, right? And, And we hurt because we don't have the same connection that we had before. We think of goals and dreams and plans that we had, but COVID derailed so many of those plans and dreams. Uh, You might remember that it was just three years ago when this whole room would be transformed. There would be a stage dropped down in the middle, and we would be facing over there on that other side, and we would have a band and a T-wing, and there was a drum set, and there were all kinds of crazy loud speakers and stuff. And, And as we just talked about earlier, we're down to a very simple setup this summer, right? So we have great things to celebrate and rejoice in. And there are also things that in our situation, in our circumstance, that we lament. And lamenting is not unbiblical or ungodly. In fact, it's part of a healthy relationship that we are called to have, each of us individually and corporately, as the people of God. And so as I reflected on the work of God that I've been privileged to be a small part of here at this church... I wanted us to come to the Gospel of John and there in verses 1 through 17, I want us to reflect on some aspects of wisdom that will keep us in that place where we can simultaneously celebrate and rejoice in all the good that we have seen God do and also recognize the not yetness of the world that we live in. Jesus came and inaugurated his kingdom. And he has gone and ascended to the right hand of the Father where even now, crazily, he is praying for us and praying for this worship service and for each and every one of you right now. But we long for that day of fulfillment when we see the kingdom of God completely fulfilled in this world, right? We long to see that kingdom come in so many ways in our community. So we want to keep ourselves in the place of understanding there is much to celebrate and there is also, as long as the Lord sees fit, much for us to continue to do and to pursue in this world. And I think there's probably no better place for us to go right now than to John 15, 1 through 17. Let's read. Jesus speaking says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. so that you will love one another. This is God's holy, inerrant, and eternal word. May he add his blessing to its reading and its proclamation. The night that Jesus was betrayed, his disciples are sent to create a Passover dinner in an upper room. Jesus knowing all that is going to happen and knowing that the father has entrusted to him all of his power comes into the room and takes the role of the chief servant strips himself down and washes his disciples' feet then he proceeds to un- help them understand that everything that the Jews have celebrated for thousands of years at this point is about him That this Passover meal where there's a lamb that is sacrificed and blood that is put over the door is about him. That he is the substitute that God has been telling them to look for. He is the promised Messiah. And he says, my body is going to be broken for you. My blood is going to be poured out for you. And his disciples realize that all of their dreams that they thought were going to climax in him becoming king that week are likely not to occur. He sends Judas out at his command to go and betray him. And now the hours are short. By dawn, he'll be arrested, brutalized, beaten, mocked, spat upon, and humiliated. He will be hung before sundown of the next day. that moment, Jesus teaches his disciples his final sermon. And that's what you find in John 14 through 17. And in the middle of it, in the things he most wants them to remember... You have this passage that I just read to you. John 15, 1 through 17. Jesus is in the final countdown. He understands that their faith is on the line. He has prayed for them that the Father will sustain their faith. And he says, here's what you need to know before you see me die. Here's what you need to know before that silent Saturday comes. And here's what you need to know before... And during and after I come out of the grave. It's no wonder that we're so blessed by the Holy Spirit to have John record in detail that sermon. Do you see the already and not yetness of the moment the disciples are in? Because that's what I want you and I to grasp. If we are going to live as a church body, In the wisdom of God, we need to see, as the people of God, just like that small group of 11 men and a handful of others, probably a handful of other women. We know there was a, a young boy who would likely be John Mark, who would write the Gospel of Mark, who was apparently there that night. So there's a small group of people. What does Jesus tell them when his kingdom is on the line? What do you need to know to be wise? Maybe that would be fitting for us as we think about our 61st anniversary as a church and what God has for us in the future. What does the Lord require of us? Four things that you're going to see He wants us to abide. He wants us to abide he wants us to believe, he wants us to enact, and I'm going to talk about why that word is so important, and he wants us to enjoy. Abide, believe, enact, enjoy. Got it? So let's talk about this abiding thing. Jesus uses that word over and over again. It's the best translation. Some English translations try to use the word remain. It just doesn't catch the full essence of the word abide. And and so when you go to John 15, 4, Jesus says to his disciples, here's what I want you to do, guys. No, Peter, I don't want you drawing out your sword and whacking people's ears off. I have legions of angels that will come down if I need them. I don't need you to enact my kingdom, Peter. I want you to abide, he says in verse four abide in me and I in you. The word abide meaning remain, yes, but also stay locked in. It means to rest, to not move on. Jesus is saying to his disciples, here's the most critical thing you can do. Don't move past me. Don't move out of me. Abide in me and make sure that I'm abiding in you, that I'm staying in you. This is the climax of Jesus' invitation to come to him, right? Isaiah had had spoken these words to the children of Israel that this Messiah would come and he would have these great invitations, things like, come to me if you are thirsty. Jesus has just re-preached that sermon that very week. Come to me if you're thirsty and longing and and hurting. Isaiah's invited people who say they they need someone to figure out life. He said, come to me and reason and your sins, which are like scarlet, will be made white as snow. Jesus has said, come to me when you're tired and weary and broken. And over and over again, we heard this in our whole series that we did on the invitations of God, right? Jesus is saying, come And then stay right there. But it's it's through me that you get to be with God. In fact, in John 14, right before John 15, in the same sermon, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want you to come to God. You can't abide in something that you haven't actually come to. Right? You have to come there first. And any person who comes into the presence of a holy God, as Isaiah himself understood, and as the people who God around Jesus figured out, Simon Peter dropping to his knees and saying, Lord, get away from me. I'm an unclean person. God is holy. His Son, Jesus, is perfectly holy and sinless. So when you come to God, you have to be cleansed by that God. Earlier that night... Jesus is going to wash their feet. And then here in the sermon in John 15, he says, You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He has spoken a word over the lepers and made them clean. He has spoken a word over the people who have been uh, cut out of the community of Israel because of their sins and and somehow they're brought in. And now he says to his disciples, I've spoken a word over you. You are clean. Clean. Earlier that night, Peter didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus washing his feet. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you don't get into the kingdom. (laughs) Peter's response says, well, then wash me head to toe, Lord. And he says, well, I've already washed you. It's not really the point. You're kind of missing the lesson here, Peter. If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And then at the supper that night... He's just given them the object lesson. He said, this is my blood which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Right? So you come to God. You come to Him to be cleansed of your sins. You come to Him with an open spirit to have your life opened up to Him. Jesus uses this analogy in John 14 and John 15. He says, In John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Do you know the invitation to the Christian life is not primarily about a get out of hell free card. It's an invitation to live in relationship with the God of the universe like you were actually created for. And Jesus says, you come through me and I get to come into your life and make my home with you. Me and the Father. That's why John, in his great vision of Revelation, writes these words as he sees Jesus doing the same thing again. Behold, Jesus says, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in To him and eat with him and he with me. So when Jesus is saying abide, I hope you get what I'm trying to get us to. He's saying, Come to me, be cleansed by me, and open up your life to me. I want to come into your life. I need to set up house where you are. He wants to indwell us and he wants us to indwell him. That's the intimacy of this relationship. Now, this is not some distant thing. This is people, you know, you, you, we get this sort of experience when you actually have to live with somebody that maybe you didn't necessarily like, you know. You get a roommate or a spouse and you haven't had this, Had to, you know, when you control space all on your own, it's very different, right? All of a sudden you get into arguments about which way the toilet paper roll goes, Right? And which and, and who used whose towel and what got left on the bathroom sink. Why are you two laughing down there in the in the the, the new couple zone? So so yeah, you get into these discussions about this. When you come to live with somebody You enter into a new type of intimacy. In John 14, 20, Jesus says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you will be in me, and I will be in you. That's the kind of intimacy that the word abide is talking about. Guess what? Jesus says, I'm going to come into the house of your life, and you're going to be in me, and I'm going to be in you. It's this language of dramatic unity. To make it clear in John 14, 16, he says, I'm going to ask the Father, and the Father is going to give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You will know the Spirit, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Christianity is not an externalized relationship with God. It's an invitation to live with God in absolute intimacy forever and be united with Him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit indwelling you and you indwelling them. But the word abide doesn't just mean all of that. It means to rest to stay there. To remain. In what? In the love of God that made that happen. Don't move on from the love of God. It's Jesus. It's one of his primary points. Look in John 59. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. How much does Jesus love you right now? Every bit as much as he loves his son, Jesus Christ. You say, but I'm not perfect. No, but he was. And you're wearing his robe of righteousness. You say, well, but I've done terrible and evil things. I've disobeyed God. I've not loved other people. He says, yeah, but but my son did, and his blood was poured out to wash you clean and to bring you into relationship. How much does the Father love you? Every bit as much as he does Jesus. Jesus goes on to say, I love you that way. Abide in my love. Stay in the love of Jesus. The world, other people will try to convince you that you are not loved by God. John, trying to teach that point over and over again in his epistles, will call the church beloved. Beloved. That's your identity. Who are you? I am someone who is loved by the holy, infinite, creator, God of the universe. That's who I am. He goes on, John 16, Jesus says, The Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. The doorway is through Jesus who's laid down his life for you and me to come into this abiding relationship. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, and you are my friends. I'm doing that for you right now, tonight. Imagine that moment. They don't understand the weight of his words. What he is saying is, watch this, guys. I'm going to show you how much I love you and how much your friendship means to me. Watch me die. For you. Brothers and sisters, the call to abide is an invitation to rest in the forever friendship bought for you by the blood of Jesus. What do you need to do, church? Abide. Rest in the forever friendship. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. He wants you and me to stay there. Sometimes what I'm trying to say to you is this, Church, the best thing you and I can do, beloved brothers and sisters, is stop breathe and remind ourselves of the ground on which we are standing. And it's the love of God through Jesus Christ, his son. What bathes us, what comforts us, what feeds us, what calls us, what shapes us is this place that we have been placed by Jesus himself. So church, Jesus wants you to abide in him. Now, to the degree that we believe Jesus is telling us the truth and that his word is powerful and effective... We will or will not abide. If you ever find yourself wrapped up in standing instead of in Jesus' love, in your anxieties, in your fears, your frustrations, like me a million times a day and a billion times a week, we can always trace that back to our unbelief. I'm not believing that right now in this moment when my tire is flat, when there's a bill that I can't figure out how to pay when I'm sick, or when there's some situation that is happening that where somebody has hurt my feelings, I don't believe in the moment that Jesus has loved me and died for me because this doesn't feel good. Right? But the invitation to abide requires that we believe him. That's why Jesus is going to start this sermon with John 14:1, when he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't be worried and anxious. Don't be fearful. Don't be standing in something else. What you need to do is believe that what I'm telling you is true and effective and powerful. Believe who you are and who Jesus is, that's what he's getting to here in John 15. John 15:5, 15, Jesus says, "You want to know who you are? You are branches. I'm a vine. The vine gives life to the branches. Don't forget who you are. You have no ability to bring life to yourself whatsoever. You didn't choose the moment of your first breath. You won't choose the moment of your last breath. And you won't choose your eternal destiny. Jesus is saying, do you understand? You only live to the degree that you know that I'm the source of life that flows into and through you. You are branches. I am the vine. You need to believe the Father's and the Son's work in your life. John 15, 2. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. I'm at work. A vine dresser is not passive. We should know this in our area. Just go out any single day into the vineyards and you will see people working in all different kinds of ways. They're weeding, they're planting, they're trimming, they're cultivating, they're pruning, they're testing the vines, they're testing the grapes when they come out. They're constantly active. They're picking the grapes and even when the season is over they go back through and they strip them back and prune them and everything else so that they will bear more fruit right that's exactly what Jesus says I think in this moment on their ascent to the Mount of Olives I wonder if Jesus was walking them through a vineyard he says hey guys you see, you see that branch that's you I'm the vine your branch And the Father, He's at work in your life. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Do you believe that right now, today, this week, God is at work in and through your life? Individually and church, do we believe that corporately? About us. Now, We're either going to believe that or not. But it doesn't negate the reality of it. We're called to believe in the necessity of this intimate connection that Jesus is talking about. He goes on to say in John 15, 4, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Let's say you were to walk along. We have uh, grapevines on this corner of Kermit King right here on the street. You could go out there, they're beginning to to bud right now. If you were to snap one of those branches off, guess what? No grapes are going to grow off that branch. It's very simple, right? It has to remain attached to the vine, correct? So if we know that, why do we sometimes believe that our lives can bear fruit and we can be effective and we can be satisfied and we can be happy disconnected from God? How foolish is that to believe that that lie? We have to believe that we will bear no fruit unless we abide in Jesus. In John 15, 5, Jesus is going to make it explicit. He says, apart from me, you know what you can achieve? Nothing. 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 And again, brothers and sisters, this is not just true of us individually, but corporately the use in this passage most of them are plural it can be all y'all or y'all together but it means we we're called to abide in Jesus and recognize that we must stay with him john 15:6 jesus gives us a warning he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. I, I picture as Jesus walking up the hill through that vineyard there, uh, that he sees a, a, a bunch of branches that have been pruned off. And they're withering there, getting ready to be part of the burn pile. And he says, uh, you know, if you are part of this that's been gathered up, you'll be thrown into the fire and be burned. There is a consequence for a life that is disconnected from the God who gives all life, and that is death. So do we believe that for ourselves, for our neighbors, for our friends, that no matter how happy, how wealthy, how powerful, how effective they seem, that what they are living is not real life, it's death, if they're not in the Father and in the Son. Do you believe the desire and plan that God has for your life and for your church? John fifteen eight. Jesus said, here's my plan. You want to know how the Father's going to get glory? By you bearing much fruit and proving to be my disciples. This is how. God's plan in this world works that He calls you individually into His family by faith through grace, you become His child. And He says, And I've got a plan, and that's for the Father to be glorified in your life. And you do that by bearing fruit. Furthermore, he gives us a promise, a certainty of God's work that he wants us to believe. Are you certain that God will bear fruitful work in your ordinary life? Theo uh, prayed a beautiful prayer right before this message uh, from... Uh, The Old Testament where we are reminded that even if the the momentary reality is that the, the vine is not bearing fruit and the fig tree is not bearing fruit, that we are in that moment called to praise God. Why? Because we have a certainty that God will bear fruit in and through our lives individually and in our church. Jesus puts it this way in the second part of John 15, 5: Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. It's in the completely determined, absolute aspect of this. It's a certainty. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Period. You say, I don't, I don't see it. He's like, that's okay. I do. I do. Do you believe these things? You will abide only to the degree that you believe. But this abiding is not passive. It's not passive. We all know there's a difference between sitting on the couch, munching Cheetos. Passively just watching the world go by and us finding ourselves at the end of the day not any more restored, renewed, and encouraged than we do with more active rest. We might find that's on a hike or meditating at the beach or spending time in a feasting table with some brothers and sisters. And though we ought perhaps be more tired, somehow we are more renewed and encouraged and built up. There's an active rest, there's a passive rest, right? This is not a passive resting in God. We know this because Jesus includes all these verbs of things he wants us to do while he's telling us to abide. Let's just look at a few of them. Here's something he wants us to enact, by the way. this is There's a difference between acting and inacting, and this is what I want you to catch. There's an inacting of the abiding, and I want us to separate that reality out that sometimes our actions are about us not abiding, but sometimes we are showing and displaying our abiding in Jesus. They are actions that come out of our abiding, all right? So what are they? Look at look at these things. Jesus says, ask. John 15:7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's a command. Too often, brothers and sisters, as so many other teachers have taught us, the reality is that we act like we are not God's children and we won't ask. Jesus wants to affirm this. He says this here in John 15. In John 14, he said, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's John 14. John 15, we've already looked at. John 16, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I'm saying to you again, three times in this sermon. Did you guys catch this? Jesus is saying this over and over again, major emphasis. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. The abiding that we are to do in Jesus does not lead us to passivity. It leads us to ask God to do great and mighty things in our lives and through our church. One of the marks of an unhealthy and dying church is they ask God to do nothing big. A church that asks God for nothing gets exactly nothing that is of God. So we ask. Here's another verb. Jesus says keep. Keep, the the word meaning guard, follow, or cherish, hold to it. In the same way that you keep your children close to you and you value them and you love them and you protect them. Here's what he says, keep my commandments. Look in John 14, 15, you find there Jesus saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. John 15, 10, from where we read earlier, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then John 15, 14, Jesus says, you are my friends. If I do, if you do what I command you, church, we find ourselves abiding to the degree that we are obeying. Don't assume you're abiding in Jesus if you aren't obeying Him. We want to have that intimacy, that connection, but we want to go and do our own thing. No, no, no. That's walking outside of the house, that's not letting Him indwell us. So we ask and we keep. We have to go back to John 14, but you see there that Jesus emphasizes this when he says, I'm calling you to serve. John 14, 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Did you catch that? You believe me, remember? Abide, believe, right? Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. Any Christian who is not doing the works of Jesus doesn't believe in Jesus. Period. And then he says something crazy. And greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to intercede. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to indwell you. I'm going to do all of this so that the world will see greater works than Jesus has done. Well, what were those works? We are to serve like Jesus. Go to Matthew chapter 4. You'll find one place where we see Jesus doing. What what is Jesus doing for three years prior to this moment? He's teaching in their synagogues. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he's healing every disease and every affliction amongst the people. He goes amongst the hurting, the broken, the oppressed. And he brings them good news. He binds up the brokenhearted. He brings the sight to the blind. He restores the lame and sets free the captive. Church, Jesus said, If you believe in me, you do what I do. And you'll do greater. And because we do it unto Jesus. Go to Matthew 25. You have there the picture of Jesus saying that at the end of time, two groups of people will be separated like sheep from goats. Right? And the sheep are the ones, he says in Matthew 25, 34, he says that they are the ones who went to the people who were hungry and gave them food. They went to the people who were thirsty and gave them drink. They went to the people who were strangers and welcomed them. They practiced radical hospitality. They went to the people who were naked and they clothed them. They went to the sick and they brought them healing and visitation and care and compassion. And they went to the people in prison. And here's the thing the sheep look around, they go, When did we do all of that to you, Jesus? And he says, Every time you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. So we ask, we keep, we serve, we love, we love. Over and over again in this sermon, Jesus says to his disciples things like this. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. John 15, he repeats it in verse 12 and verse 17. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. How much are you to love the person next to you as much as Jesus has loved you? You say, yeah, but they smell, or they are different from me, or gosh, they voted differently for me, or they, I don't like this or that aspect of them. Guess what? Do you think Jesus likes any of you? Mm -hmm. You think you don't smell to him? You think that you aren't different than him in all of his holiness? All of us have received an undeserved love and that love must characterize the lives of the people who are abiding in Jesus. John 15, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. How do we enact the abiding? How do we demonstrate the reality of our faith? We ask we keep the commandments, right? We serve and we love. And then, go to John fifteen sixteen. Jesus says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you. By the way, that should just blow you away. Don't be thinking you authored your own salvation. Before eternity began, at the beginning of all, before the world began, I should say, Jesus had written your names in the Lamb's book of life. He chose you. He purchased you with His blood. He says, you did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you. You were chosen and appointed to do what? To go and bear fruit. The kind of fruit that abides in the Father so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Brothers and sisters, we have been sent. After the resurrection, Jesus is going to breathe on his disciples, and he's going to say, my wholeness, my peace, my shalom be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In the same way that God sent His Son into the world, He sends His children, the abiding ones, into the world to bring wholeness and peace. We come with the same good news that Jesus proclaimed. It's not different. Jesus... Ministry we find recorded in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1 verses 14 through 16. John gets arrested. Jesus inaugurates his public ministry. He comes proclaiming the good news of God. What's the good news of God? That God's Messiah has come. The kingdom is fulfilled. The time of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. That's the message we bring to the world. Abiding people understand that the only going we do is into the world that the world might know that they can abide in the Father. Isn't that shocking? We go to bring the kingdom. We don't do it on our own because we're empowered by the same Holy Spirit who indwells us. John 15 Verse 26, Jesus says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness. Because you have been with me from the beginning. The abiding that we are called to as a church is always missional. Eleven years ago, when I came to this church, there was a mentality that dominated the reality of the church. It was fed through self-centeredness and narcissism. I praise God that spirit is not here. But the mentality was one of a chapel, a place for religious activity, with no sense of mission to the world. Don't misunderstand this kind of abiding and believing that we are called to. It is not passive, it sends us out as obedient servants to love and serve and tell. Open up our mouths and tell people the good news of Jesus. Get into relationships with people so they can see Jesus in you. Invite them into your homes so that people can encounter the Jesus that's in your house. Invite them to come be with God's people gathered as the servants. Not because there's cool musicians or a giant screen or all kinds of other stuff, activities and stuff, because you're not inviting them to any of those things, folks. You're inviting them to encounter the good news of Jesus Christ. You're inviting them to life. To life itself. And you can go forward confident that the Holy Spirit is at work bearing witness to. The same Holy Spirit who indwells you. So, we abide, we believe, we enact For our joy. For our joy. See, here's the thing. We think that the only way to really be happy, the lie that Satan has sold since the garden, is you'll only be happy if you're disconnected from God. You'll only be happy if you believe some other thing will satisfy you. And you don't need to be in relationship with Jesus. You'll only be joyful and happy if you don't have to obey Him and if you are served rather than serving others. You'll only be happy if you are loved by other people, not loving other people. You'll only be happy if you don't open your mouth and tell people about Jesus. And here's what Jesus says back to all of those lies. I'm inviting my children into a greater joy, Satan, than anything you've got. How do we know this? Well, it's right there. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and yet your joy may be full. The happiest human being who's ever lived was Jesus, the Son of God. And he wants you to have the greatest depths of and heights and breadth and length of the joy of God indwelling you. All of this abiding, believing, all of this enacting and keeping and loving and serving and all of that is for your joy. Satan will lie to you. The world will try and distract you. Your flesh will rise up and argue and you will end up in great debates inside and Jesus says, don't you hear me? I'm inviting you to the joy that I have in the Father and the Father has in me. And there is no greater happy union than that. And I want you to have joy that overflows. Church, we need to hear the invitation to rest and live in the joy that Jesus has for Yes, we're in the already. We've seen God do amazing things. We've got a great church vision. We have transformed lives all around us. If you don't know each other's stories, just go and sit down with each other and ask each other, what were you doing 12 years ago? Most of you were not following Jesus. Or if Some of you were. You weren't following Jesus very deeply. God has had you on a tremendous journey. So here's the question that we've got to end with today. Will we believe that there is more joy ahead? Or will we draw in, disconnect, not fulfill all that Jesus has for us? Will we believe the world, our flesh, and Satan? Or will we find fullness of joy? I'm preaching to myself. And I am preaching to you. There's more joy ahead, church. Let's go ask Jesus for it. Father God, we're asking for joy. Greater joy, amazing joy, magnificent joy. We're asking that you empower us to to abide in you, to draw us anew and afresh in you, to believe your promises and who you say you are. We're asking you to, to cause us to dream great dreams, that we would ask you for things that are greater works than we've seen you do. We're asking that you would empower our obedience and our service and our love and our witness. We are asking for more joy. We want the joy that you have, O oh Father, in the Son, and the Son has in you. We want that inside us as you have promised. And we want our lives to overflow with joy. We ask this by your grace and for your glory.